It's good to be together in the house of the Lord. Luke chapter 24, let me ask you to think for a minute as I give you some thoughts. Ponder for a minute, stop whatever you're doing, listen to these thoughts here. Number one, when God is not who you thought he was, when Jesus just doesn't do what you need him to, when things happen that you did not expect, when your heart is broken and crushed, when nothing is going right, that's when we find out if our faith is real. I wrote down these thoughts thinking about a verse here in Luke chapter 24 of the struggle that the disciples had with how things went at the cross. And it rattled them, it shook them to the, to the core. And if you look at chapter 24, look at verse 21. <clears throat> these are the words of, uh, start in verse 20, these are the words of these two men who are walking on a road going home to a little town called Emmaus. And it says this, <clears throat> they're going over how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him, delivered Jesus to be condemned to death and have crucified him. And then listen to these words. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things we're done. Verse down to 25. Then, said, then he, Jesus, said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So these two young men are walking home from Jerusalem. They're walking about 12 kilometers. It's 60 furlongs, but it's just 12 kilometers away, eight miles from Jerusalem up to a little village called Emmaus. And they're talking among themselves. They're, they're going over and over everything that had happened over the past week. They, all the excitement and the expectations when Jesus rode in on that, that donkey, and as he came in, just like it was prophesied that he would come in, and everybody crying out, he's the king, the king is here, salvation has come. And they were so excited. And, and they remembered the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 that said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And so they saw that and they said, Surely, this is it. And then they were devastated. They watched as that very same Jesus who had come in and the whole city was was ready to make him king, and they now saw him mocked and spit upon, whipped and beaten, stripped and laid out on a criminal's cross, nailed with three nine-inch spikes through his hands and his feet. And he was left there until he died. So here they are, going over and over, remembering how all that could have happened how he had been laid in that tomb, and it was over. So you would imagine they were very sad, as it's going to say here in just a moment. The utter pain of the reality had set in that their Messiah was dead. Everything was over. All the hopes they'd held on to were dashed. When Jesus was put into that tomb, it was final. Then a man draws near. 
Look back there in uh, uh, verse 13. Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. Like I said, that's 60 furlongs, 12, mile, 12 kilometers. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Now this is kind of, uh, Jesus on purpose sort of distracts them. Somehow he makes it so that they just don't look up. They don't recognize him. They know what Jesus looks like. But to them, I can only imagine maybe they're just, you know, when you get discouraged and you get defeated, you just look down. You can't look anybody in the eyes. So as they're walking along, they don't even take a glance to see who this guy is. They certainly didn't expect it to be Jesus. But this man draws near. To them, he was just another Joe. And he asked them two questions. Look there in verse 17. He said unto them, because he could hear them. Again, on a, these are not cars passing on the highway. These are people walking. So they've been walking along, and their voice is carrying. And there's another man. Maybe he's 30 feet, then 20 feet, then 15 feet, then 10, then 5 feet. He's caught up to them. And he could hear their conversation. He asked two questions. He said, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk? And are sad. So he said, he said, what are you talking about? What words are you using? Why are you so sad? Think about it. I mean, they were using words that you normally don't talk about. The cross, crucifixion, torture, tomb, murder, bloody, death. Maybe that's on television, but that wasn't normal for them to be talking about. He said, why are you so sad? Now, these guys were shocked. I mean, they're like, what? Verse 18, and the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Where have you been for the last week, buddy? Don't you know any of the things that just happened in Jerusalem? I mean, Jerusalem's the New York of the day. It's the London of the day. Everything that happens, everybody knows about in Jerusalem. And they couldn't believe that somebody would know about this, probably the most public execution that had ever happened. All other executions, yes, there were, there were lots of crucifixions. The Romans sort of made examples of lots of different criminals. But this one had literally tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand people watching as Jesus died. How can it be possible that this man doesn't know what happened? I think one of the most, I, I love the humor that God has. This is one of the funniest statements in the Bible. You ready? Watch this. They just said, they just said, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Don't you know these things in verse 18? And Jesus said to them, what things? I get the humor in that, okay? <laughs> he was there. But he's like a parent, you know, a, a teenager plops down on the couch and says, I hate life. <gasps> and, 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 and dad looks and says, anything wrong? Everything is wrong. Oh, dad, you wouldn't understand. You never had to deal with the problems I deal with. And what does dad say? Oh, really? What things? <laughs> Here's Jesus. And he says, what things just happened? What has you so down? 
And then these two men revealed their faith. And it says in verse, uh, uh, verse 19, he says, What things? And they say unto him, What's concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word of Indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted. What's wrong with that statement? It's in the past. We don't longer, we no longer trust him anymore. We no longer, we we believed with all our heart. We we had such faith, and now it's nothing. You know, uh, we thought that Jesus was the deliverer of Israel who would free us from the Romans. We thought that he was the one sent from God to be our king. We thought that, that, that he was going to reign forever, but he didn't. Our own religious leaders captured him. Our mighty Savior, who, who, who could do anything, he could walk on water. And there he was, put on a cross, and he didn't. Fight. He didn't put up a resistance. He even stopped his closest disciple from defending him. What was he thinking? And then, you know, these guys look at their faith, and verse 21 goes on. He says, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is, and they're mocking. Now, watch this. They're not believing, they're still mocking. This is the third day. Since these things were done, yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished. We were surprised that these women would believe what they were telling us. They were which, which were early at the sepulcher, and when they found not his body, they came to us saying that they had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us, talking about John and, and Peter, went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Now, through all of that description, not one iota of maybe it's true. No, everyone at that point had determined Jesus was still dead. Now, you couldn't have dreamed up the twist to this plot. You could not have written the Bible. It is breathtaking when you just see how it strikes at at what we claim to believe. Because there are many times when I too say, oh, I believe God, only to find out I really didn't. Only to find out just how easily discouraged I am. And how what I thought was going to happen didn't. Hmm. You ever been there? You ever been shook to the core? Would to God that we wanted to have more than just Faith, great faith. And Jesus picked these two men. He could have picked anybody, but he picked these two to show us. Now, I know Trump wants to make America great again, but you know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to make faith great again. So remember that this morning as we go through these, these verses. Let God strike in your heart say, Lord, I wonder if I'm more like these two men than I am willing to admit. Father, would you bless the study of your word this morning? Don't just speak to us. Grip us, humble us, challenge us to stop playing with faith and stop putting things out that aren't real, like our own wants, like our own will, 
like our own passions, like our own demands, like what we expect. But instead, God, that we would stop and humble ourselves and say, Lord, <laughs> I just want to believe you. Whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, I just want to believe if it's of you. Lord, the cross was the only way to save sinners. These men didn't think they needed to be saved. They only wanted to be made free from the Romans. They didn't realize they needed to be free from sin. And in this room, there's plenty of people who wish that you would free them from the banker, free them from some problem, but they've never begged you to free them from their sin. Help us, Lord, to get real faith and stay there. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to, the title of the message is, When Your Faith Is Not Faith. When Your Faith Is Not Faith. And I'll show you. Look back there in verse 13. We'll read these verses again down to verse 21. There are just a couple of things that will let you know when your faith is not really Biblical faith, all right? Now you say, how do you get faith? Well, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, so I hope you're hearing it this morning because that's where you'll get your faith. If you're praying for faith and you're not reading your Bible, guess what? You're not going to get any faith. You're going to have to start to just let this book say what is to believe, and then you believe it. So when your faith is not faith is, number one, when you have your own expectations. The very thought that a three-day dead body would come back to life impossible. I wouldn't expect that. Look at, um, uh, look in verse 12, verse 13, behold, two of them went that same day, we already read this, but I want to read it again, to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass here, there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and the people. <clears throat> I'm reading down to verse 21. Thank you. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Now, these two men talked and reasoned and made conclusions about what they now believe. And says, you know what? We believed all these things, but we don't believe it anymore. Listen to what they had believed for almost three years. They had believed that Jesus was a good man. They never would have expected, as they watched Jesus, they said, he's a good man. He's worthy of being followed. He's somebody I want to learn from. He's a great teacher. As a matter of fact, they call him a great prophet. Now, the Muslims say that too, by the way. But they also saw Jesus tragically die. And it just shook them. They said, that should not have happened. They believed that Jesus should have done better. Jesus should have fixed the situation. Jesus could have, he, he could have walked away from Pilate. He could have, he could have dropped those, those robes. He could have come down from that cross. Could he not? Jesus should have done better. 
Why would he let wicked men surround him and then turn himself over as a captive and let them drag him away as a criminal? Why did he do that? Jesus sort of fought back. Jesus should never have suffered like that. But none of what they believed was what they believed anymore. All their expectations had to be adjusted. Nothing of what they had expected to happen, happened. Hmm. You know, death will do that. <laughs> death will cause you to, not your death, but somebody's death will cause you to adjust yourself. You know, when you lean upon your husband, ladies, for so much and then he dies, I guarantee you, you have to adjust the way you look at life. Gentlemen, when, when something, when death happens in your family, in your life, and it's just, you don't expect it or whatever, it rattles you to the core. You go, God, what happened here? And you know a little bit of how the disciples felt. And they lost faith. But you know why they lost faith? You know why they're walking and their faith to them was all in their past tense? It's because their expectations were wrong. Their expectations were self-generated. Which is really why most people get angry at God. They end up upset at God. Not because God has failed them, not in reality, but... God didn't meet their expectations. Like, I've heard this. Well, I used to pray, and I used to believe in God, but He never answered any of my prayers. Yeah, I know what they were praying for. <laughs> I wouldn't have given it to them either. I used to go to church, Pastor, and I used to believe in God, but then I saw all the suffering in the world, and God didn't seem to be fixing any of it, so I just quit believing. So you expect God to go around and fix all of man's own doings. Well, I used to believe in the Bible, but then some of my questions were not answered. I found some things that nobody could answer. So you quit believing? I used to trust God for everything, Pastor, but God just didn't seem to do what I wanted Him to do in my life. So now I'm on prescription drugs. I quit church, and I went out and found me a wife at the disco, and I work every Sunday now. Wow. Why'd you lose faith? Plenty of reasons why people lose faith. But you know the real reason? Because God is a God of their own understanding instead of the God of heaven. If you ever have been to AA, what do they tell you? They tell you you need to look to and pray to a God of your own understanding. No. You need, the, you need to know the God that made you. You need to know the God of the Bible, the God of heaven and earth. And when you have God sort of in your little box and you say, God, you do good and I'll serve you. If you don't do what I want, I'm throwing you away. See, I would never treat him like that. Really? Really. The reason why these men, their faith was not faith anymore was because God had let them down. Secondly, when your faith is not faith, it's when you can't believe the impossible. Again, look at verse 22. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, and when they found not his body, which was amazing, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which, had said, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us, Peter and, and John, went to the sepulcher and found it even, as the women, uh, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Now, what are, they, what are they saying? They're saying, yeah, 
They can't find the body, but we don't believe he's alive. Why? Because dead people don't just get up, amen? You know, there are a lot of impossible things to believe in that Bible. There are a lot of impossible things. If you can't bring yourself to believe that God actually created every atom, every molecule, every law of physics, every planet, every star, then your faith is not faith at all. If you say, well, you know, God used evolution to create the universe, then you don't have faith at all. You've got your little God of science, but that God will let you down one day because they'll have to change their ideas again. Back in 1950s, all before the 1950s, science had said the universe has always been here. And then they had to admit uh, there seemed to have been a big bang. And we'll put it out further and further in time. First, they said about 6 billion years, then 10 billion, then 13.4 billion years ago. They had it out at about 40 billion years ago, about 20 years ago. Then they had to pull it back. Hey, your God keeps changing if you're believing in science. If you can't believe that God split the Red Sea for 12 hours and held up the walls of that water like, like a canyon so that his people, the Israelites, could walk on dry ground to freedom from Pharaoh's army. If you can't believe that, then your faith is not faith at all. If you can't bring yourself to believe that a great fish, a whale, swallowed Jonah, and that Jonah was preserved alive for 72 hours in the belly of that whale, if you can't believe that, then your faith is not faith at all. If you can't believe all that Moses wrote and all that the prophets wrote, then your faith is not faith at all. If you can't believe that God raised up Jesus from the dead after, after such a dramatic, torturous crucifixion, well, then your faith is not faith at all. And you can't believe the impossible. When you come to the Bible, there was, a, there was a famous president of the United States. His name was Thomas Jefferson. Anybody ever know, ever hear of him, Thomas Jefferson? He was a very intellectual man, but he was a little bit too intellectual. His head was bigger than... Should have been possible. And he said, you know, I believe Jesus was a good man. I believe Jesus was a prophet. I believe Jesus did a lot of good, but I don't believe in miracles. So he took his Bible, took a King James Bible, he took his scissors and <laughs> cut out all of the verses that had anything to do with miracles. And, and, he, and, and then... Once he did that, he took all of the scripture and he put them into, he pasted them into paper and he had all of the story of Jesus all the way to his crucifixion and his burial. And at the last page of his gospel, of Thomas Jefferson's gospel, it says, and they sealed him in the tomb, period. And that's the end of his story. You see, Thomas Jefferson, like a lot of people, couldn't go beyond that, couldn't believe that you're going to get up again. That's when you know you don't have faith at all. Third reason why your faith is not faith is when you mock those who are believing. Again, back there in verse 23, when, when, when these men are referring to these women, he says, and when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. Oh, yeah, right, right. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 24, and I want you to see this encounter and watch how they all reacted when these four women, Mary Magdalene and and the other women came to the tomb, verse, 24, verse 1 of chapter 24. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices 
which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they, they the angel said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Now watch verse 9. And they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the leaven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told all these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed unto them like idle what? Like blah, 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 blah. And they, the apostles, the disciples, Cleopas and his friend, none of them believed. They believed them not. Why? Because they didn't believe in the impossible. And, and when, when these women were believing it, they made fun of them. They called them, oh, you women, what, what, what did you drink this morning? What, what, what did you eat last night? What, what visions are you having? What, what are you on? You know, I watch... Uh, I love new baby Christians. You can't, you can't be around a better person than somebody who just gets saved and they pick up the Bible and they just believe every word. You remember when you were like that? Those were marvelous people to hang around with because they just stir up a fire inside of you that says, maybe I need to get back to just believing every word again instead of being so skeptical and so critical. You know, there's one person not to be critical of and that's God. But you'll find yourself where some teenager, here comes somebody, he's 15 years old, and he says, Pastor, I think God's called me to preach. And you know what? Half of you say, oh, I don't know, that guy. He can't even, he can't even, you know, he can't even get a job. And all of a sudden, we mock people who just want to believe God and do something great for God. Be careful. That's when your faith is not faith at all. Verse 25, when God's words are not enough. Then he, again, Jesus has been listening to all this. And I don't know, I would imagine he's smiling, but he's probably kind of hiding it. But now he turns serious, and he says, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning in Moses, back in Genesis, and through all the prophets, he expounded, he took time to explain unto them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You'll know that your faith is not enough when that book is not enough. If you're waiting for some vision from God, if you're waiting for some miracle to happen in your life before you start to believe in God, you'll go to hell. You'll go straight to hell. There's a, there, Jesus tells of two men, a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. The rich man lived, the Bible says, sumptuously. He had everything you'd ask for. He lived from day to day like a king. And outside of his gate, there was a poor man who only had one thing in life, and that was Jesus. That was his faith in a Savior in God. And there was Lazarus outside. He, he, his only life was when people gave him crumbs. Both of them died. And it says that the rich man woke up in hell. Lazarus, it says, 
the angels carried him to paradise, placed him into the lap of Abraham, right into the very presence of the greatest man of faith ever. And the two of them could see each other across a great gulf, a great gap, and, and Lazarus is crying out, no, the rich man is crying out, Lazarus, and he looks at him and he says, Lazarus! I remember you. And he sees Abraham and he says, Abraham, send Lazarus to, to, to just dip his finger in water so that he may drop it on my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. Abraham says, he can't come. There's a great gulf. You can't come to us and we can't come to you. So the, so, so the rich man settles. He says, well, then send Lazarus back. I've got five brothers and I don't want to come to this place. They'll believe if a man raises from the dead. And Abraham says, no, they won't. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the scriptures. And if they don't believe the Bible, they won't believe though a man raises from the dead. Miracles don't save anybody. That book does. You're going to have to take God at his word and believe it. <clears throat> and when God's words aren't enough for you, and you have to go to a church that sort of has that feely, goody, yummy, uh, wowy type uh, pulse and lights and, and drums and, and atmosphere before you start having faith, then you have no faith at all. Amen. And God's words are not enough. You know the Bible? You know what Jesus... Look. Jesus calls them fools. I'm not allowed to call anybody a fool, but when he calls a person a fool, it's deadly serious. He says you're slow of heart, which means sluggish. You, 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 you can't even bring yourself to try to believe. What do you need to believe? It all. Well, you know, I, I believe the Beatitudes. I believe the New Testament, but I don't like the Old Testament. <laughs> you, ever, you ever heard anybody like that? Maybe you were one of them. You know, um, these men only believed the parts of the Old Testament they liked. They liked the parts that told of a Messiah, of a, of a powerful conqueror, a leader, a king who would rule with a rod of iron. They liked the Bible that had their Messiah on their side defeating their enemies. It's nice to have somebody on your side, huh? I had a friend when I was in school, and um, uh, his name was Emmanuel. I was, I was born in Texas. And Emmanuel was about twice my size, but most everybody was twice my size in those days. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was bullied as a kid. I'm still scarred. Anyway, uh, and, and I saw Emmanuel, and Emmanuel and I got, we hit it off, and he was about four feet wide, and he was only like 10 years old, but he's about, he was huge, and he was, he was a good two feet taller than me. Emmanuel was about a grade older, a year older than me or whatever. But you know what I did? I made friends with him. Because <laughs> it's nice having somebody on your side. Amen? When somebody comes up and says, Dada, Emmanuel! <laughs> you need me? Yeah. That dude needs punching right now. All right. The point is, they wanted a Messiah who would come to the rescue and defeat the Romans and conquer their enemies and make them feel good about themselves. But when they skipped over all the scriptures that told about the Messiah coming and suffering at their own hands, that was too much to read and to believe. 
They ignored the scriptures that told about a necessary lamb of God before the lion of the tribe of Judah. They rejected the sufferings of Christ that had to happen first. And they rejected the heart of the confusing parts. I was on a plane to Seattle years ago, and I sat next to this Jewess, this woman, who claimed to be a, a, a uh, Orthodox Jew, and there she was, Jewess, and there she was quoting from the Torah and things, and I said, have you ever read Isaiah uh, 53? No, 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 she said. That's too confusing. <laughs> I said, well, still read it. No, no. We were told to stay away from hard-to-understand passages. They said, that you're going to miss Jesus because everything that may be hard for you to understand actually is the truth about Jesus. She wouldn't take it. She had never read, ever. She had been warned, never read Isaiah 53. She had been warned never to read the book of Daniel. She had been warned that there were vast portions of the Bible that were just too hard for the normal Jew to understand. Don't read it. You ever hear anybody today say, oh, the Bible's too hard to understand? I know it's hard to understand, but I want to believe it. I don't want anybody to tell me not to read. As a matter of fact, the greatest freedom is to hold a Bible in your hand, be able to read it for yourself, and to choose for yourself whether you're going to trust Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody put stuff, put, oh, you know, I, I got to skip the hard parts. Read them all. When God's words are not enough. You know, these, these men had seen the feeding of 5,000. They'd seen Jesus walk on water. had seen Jesus heal countless hundreds of sick and dying people. But the most important thing that happened around Jesus were his words. It was not his miracles. Look in chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, and verse 31. Luke 18, 31 to 33. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, I'm going to do a great miracle. Is that what he says? No, he says, We go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. What is he trying to get them to think? What have they written? What have they prophesied? Everything is going to take place. Verse 32, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. <laughs> they went, duh, what did he say? I didn't get a word he said. You know, when you don't pay attention to every word, as a matter of fact, Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Jesus' greatest work was when he spoke. So many, so many scriptures were constantly quoted by Jesus. He was constantly preparing them for his coming crucifixion, but they ignored it. They didn't know, why do we have to go to Jerusalem? They hate you there. They want to kill you there. Jesus, why don't you just set up your kingdom up here in the north? Why do you have to go against the flow? He said to fulfill all scripture. If your faith rests upon visions and miracles and healings and angels, then you have no faith at all. Another thing, your faith is not faith when your Jesus is still dead. Go back to Luke 24. To them, where was Jesus? 
even though he was standing right next to him, where was he to them? He's dead. Maybe they can't find his body, but he's dead. Listen to these words again there in verse, um, uh, verse 21. But we trusted. Put him in the past tense, not trusting Jesus anymore. He's dead and gone. Three days have come and gone. Nothing's changed for them. Whatever faith these men had had, they no longer had it at all. This is uh, what most people actually believe today. Never mind that they say they believe. And I've been at the door. I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of people who said these words. I'll say, listen, unless you're born again, Jesus said you're not going to get to see the kingdom of God. You're going to only see the wrath of God. You'll end up in hell. Oh, we don't even know if there's life after death. Are you a good Catholic? Oh, I'm a Catholic. I go to church every week. Oh, I believe the gospel. Do you believe that there's life after death? Nah. <laughs> I don't believe there's any life after death. What? To them, Jesus is still dead. Jesus is not whom he claimed to be. Jesus didn't rise. So we have to just kind of just move on. Modify our faith. And this is the most important part. Verse 32, when your faith is not faith is when your heart is not engaged. They said one to another, and we'll look at these verses in just a moment. They said one to another, did not our heart, what's the next words? Burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. You know, when your heart is not in motion, go to Matthew chapter 15. Holding your place here in Luke, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, this people, this religious people, these people that believe, that say they believe in God, these people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far from me. If your heart doesn't burn when you are reading your Bible, if your heart doesn't beat faster, when you hear a truth from the Word of God. If your heart doesn't, doesn't panic when the call goes out to serve the Lord, like, could He be calling me? Then your faith is not faith at all. You have to use your heart to have faith. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Is it possible to go through all the motions, to go to a good church, to hear good preaching, to, to have a creed and a, and a list of things that you say you believe, and you still go to hell? Watch this. Acts chapter 8. Philip is talking to a eunuch, to a man who is in charge of the treasury of a queen down in Ethiopia. And uh, if you'll notice, verse 30, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Again, he's reading the word of God. He's trying to believe it, verse 31. And he said, How can I understand it except some man should guide me? So he desires Philip that he would come up and sit with him in his chariot. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Again, do you know what chapter this is from in the book of Isaiah? I'll only give you one guess. 
Isaiah 53. Verse 33, in, hum in his humiliation, his judgment that was supposed to be for him was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For he is, his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Is he talking of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus, it's Jesus. As they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, Hey, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I'm ready to get baptized. I'm ready to join the church. Where do I tithe? Now, that's a good, that's a good desire, but that saves nobody, does it? Verse 37, and it's not in the New Bibles. If you have an NIV, it's not in there. If you have a, a today's English version, or if you have an HIV, or an uh, uh, RSA, whatever, blah, it's not in there. But verse 37 is very important. If anybody's ever going to get saved, it says, Philip said, you can only be baptized if thou believest with a little of thine heart. With all thine heart thou mayest. And that's when this eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's not just quoting a creed. It's coming from his heart, and that saved him. That's when he went out and he went ahead and got baptized. You know, um, <clears throat> these men's hearts burned. They were inflamed. They were on fire, which, which is an older way of saying they were passionately active in, in their interaction with this man on the road. Go back now. Verse, uh, we read there verse 27, back in Luke 24, verse 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village. So he's, he's talked for 12 kilometers. You can talk a lot across eight miles. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would just keep going. But they constrained him. They stopped him. They held on to him and saying, Abide with us, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, I mean, they're in their home. They fix a meal. And as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and he blessed it and break and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. And boom, he vanished out of their sight. And that's when they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? We haven't had our heart moved for days. We've felt dead We've had no faith. We thought it was over. But boy, as he talked, a flame burned and roared inside while he opened to us the scriptures. Verse 33, they rose up the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. You think they believe he's alive now? You better believe it. Listen, your faith is not faith when that book doesn't affect you in your heart. If that book is a book for science, and there's plenty of science in there, if that book is only a book of history, and there's a lot of history in there, if that book is a book on counseling, and there's a lot of good counsel in that Bible, but if that book you hold in your hand doesn't stir your heart, you have no faith. Your faith is no good at all. And you'll be, it'll be proven to be true when the devil pulls the rug out from under you. And when all of your expectations come crashing down, and when God doesn't do what you need Him to do at that moment, and you give out to God and you say, God, I quit. It'll be because 
their heart hasn't been engaged. So what faith should look like, put it on its flip side. Number one, it loves Jesus. Great faith loves Jesus. I love how it says there, verse 32. Well, go back there. Verse 29, he's trying to go on further, but they constrained him, and he says, stay, they said, stay with us. Do they know who it is? No, but they want him to stay. Verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at meat with them. They remember at the, at the remembrance supper, they remember what Jesus did when he took that bread and he broke it, and I bet you they could see something on his hands. What do you think they saw? When he broke that bread, they saw the scars. They saw his scars. They looked and they went, and their eyes were open. He broke that bread and he said, bye. And he took off. And I got to, let me just stop here. Let me get ahead of myself for a second. But understand, why did he disappear? Because he didn't want them to, to be motivated by his physical presence. He wanted them to remember his words got their heart going. And to keep that, because Jesus wasn't going to stay there anymore. Amen. He's not going to appear at your bedside. He's not going to show up at work and beat up your boss when he doesn't give you a raise. The Lord asks you to trust his word and let it affect you down to your core. Great faith is all about Jesus and about loving him. Verse 32, he said, did not our heart burn within us? I, I, I think they missed Jesus when he died. Would you think that? But they never saw, thought they'd see him again. But the moment. They saw him. Boy, I, I think that from the moment he disappeared, from that moment on, all they did was they just talked heavenward. They said, Lord, we love you. We miss you. That's faith. If you're going from day to day and all you do is just endure and there's no heart to heaven conversation, your faith is not faith at all. Real faith just stays addicted to the Lord Jesus. What does Jesus say in John 15? He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's when you can ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Great faith loves Jesus. Great faith drives the heart crazy. I think, I mean, they've sat down, they've walked 12 kilometers. How many have walked, let's see, um, that's about from here to Cork City. That's about nine miles. No, it's from here to Blarney is nine miles. It's a little over walking from here to Blarney one way. So they have walked all that way during the day. How long would that take? At two or three miles an hour? I figure they're probably walking very slowly because they're sad, correct? They've walked that distance. Let's say that they took three hours, four hours to walk that distance. They're hungry. They're starving. But as they have spent a little bit of time with that that man on that road, and then knowing it was Jesus, guess what they did? They lost their appetite. You ever been in love where you didn't care about eating? You just wanted to be with somebody? I mean, this event drove them crazy. Their heart was now like, forget the food. Forget where we're at. Forget the fact this evening, we got to go tell somebody, amen? Drive your heart crazy. People look at you and go, what got into you? I believe in the book. I'm believing that the Jesus that came is coming again. <laughs> Amen. They no longer were worn out from that long walk and all the stress of the past week. Their minds and their hearts were racing. They had to pinch themselves. They had to ask themselves, did we really see who we thought we saw? 
None of their thinking and conclusions had been right. But you know, real faith will make you go, wow. Amen. Let it happen. Quit being so predictable. Oh, you know, pastor, I, I knew all this. I knew all that. Eh, preach me something new. Really? Faith looks at that book in John 3.16 and still goes, wow. Amen? You know, for three years they had missed who Jesus really was. They looked at him like a genie. But they discovered he was the lover of their soul. He realized to save them he had to suffer so that they could be made free. And they missed it all. And the heart, listen, real faith will make your heart go crazy. You'll be, you'll be condemning yourself one second, and then you'll be going, Woo, I'm forgiven. <laughs> people think you're weird. People think you're crazy. They, people will look at you and go, he's a nut. And you go, I know. That's because my heart's engaged. Because my faith is back great again. Great faith believes whatever the Bible says now. You see, if you can settle the most impossible thing, some people say Jonah in the whale is impossible. That's not as impossible as a man rising from the dead. If you can settle that to be true, everything else is easy. Amen? If you can come to this book, that's why the disciples didn't go preaching Jonah. The disciples didn't go preaching the Red Sea. The disciples didn't go preaching the uh, uh, creation and, and the, the, the marvel of the universe. They didn't go preaching that... Um, um, uh, that God fed Israel for 40 years with manna and quail. They didn't go preaching. You know what they preached? He's alive! That's what they preached. And it turned this world upside down. <laughs> you know, when you believe that, the rest of it is like, oh, sure, that's easy. <laughs> that's easy, amen. It's easy to believe in a real place called heaven if you believe in the resurrection. And it's easy to believe that there is a judgment place called hell if there's a resurrection, because His resurrection and His cross and His love saved me from it. Or else it was a wasted effort. You know what? You start reading this Bible, you're just going to start finding out there's a coming one world government. And we're getting ever so close to it. And if we don't get rid of Radker, and if we don't start getting some, some, some solid um, uh, conservative, and I wish God-fearing people as TDs into government, Ireland is going to fall in line with the one world government that the Bible predicts. You say, How do you believe that? Because I believe in the resurrection. And when the Bible says there's going to be a one world government run by Rome, I believe it. I believe there's coming an Antichrist. And this guy's going to be so evil, he's going to look so slick. He's going to walk and talk and do and live like he's Mr. Perfect, and the whole world is going to follow him to hell. It's coming. The soon coming mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13 in the right hand or in the forehead, just like coming around right now. They have these little things. They're about the size of a grain of, of rice and it's being injected into the muscle in the arms, but they'll make them small enough to fit as a tiny little piece underneath the skin in the right hand and in the forehead if you want to be really cool. Just like the Bible says. You say, you believe all that? Because I believe in the resurrection. I can believe it all. I believe in the promise that all believers will be raptured up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You say, are you worried about the Antichrist? No, I'm listening for a shout. I can't wait for Jesus to come back and pull us out of here. You believe all that? I believe it because I believe in the resurrection. 
I believe in the promise that death has no victory over any believer. You know what happens when somebody dies, they're a believer, they just go to sleep. See, I'm terrified of death. Are you terrified of going to sleep? If you're born again, you can believe that when you close your eyes in death, it's just like going to sleep, you're going to wake up in the presence of Jesus. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear the sting of death. You don't have to fear the law. You don't have to fear the judgment of God. There is therefore now no condemnation of them who are in Christ Jesus. When you die, I believe you're walking straight into the presence of Jesus Christ. I look forward to it. I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of it. Why? Because I believe in the resurrection. I believe whatever the Bible says now. Because Jesus is alive. Great faith is just believing what God says, not what I want Him to say, by the way. And there are a lot of hustlers out there, a lot of religious hustlers, who try to make God say what they want to say and what you want them to say. I'll just let God say. And I believe that. It loves being with other believers. Look back there in verse 33. I think this is quite humorous. They rose up the same hour and they went where? They ran back to Jerusalem. It's nighttime. They're traveling 12 kilometers. I bet they're running 10 miles an hour. They can't get there fast enough. And they found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon, Simon Peter. You know what? They couldn't wait to get back to the upper room. What had happened was after the crucifixion, the disciples became dead. All their expectations were broken. They were totally devastated and disappointed. So slowly they were going home. They were going away. They were giving up. Wow. Once faith had come back into action, where did those disciples, those two men on the road, they wanted to be back in church, back with other people, back with supposed believers. They had to get back to hanging around believers. And that's what church is. Church is supposed to be a place where there are a bunch of believers who solidly believe Jesus is alive. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as we see the day of his return approaching. Real faith loves being. You say, well, I can't make time for church. It's just, you know, if I make it, it's a... Listen, then your faith is no faith at all. My faith says i got to be with other Christians because your faith encourages my faith. And I want to be an encouragement to your faith. That's what a church does. That's how come on Sunday night when you're missing, it kind of pulls people down. On Wednesday night when it comes time for prayer and people are missing, whereas if somebody who hadn't been to church in a while comes in and sits down and picks up the prayer list, the flames get a little brighter. Amen? It matters whether you're here or not. It loves being with other believers. If you say you believe that book, you ought to be your own prayer meeting night. Amen? And it affects everyone around. I'm finished. Look at verse 34. They're going around all those disciples, those great apostles, and they're saying, The Lord is risen indeed, half appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. They said, He is alive. It affected everyone. I think they came bolting in that upper room and they were yelling and smiling and happy, and it affected the spiritual atmosphere of that room. What was the atmosphere before they came in? Mm, I guess I can go back to fishing. Well, I guess I can ask for my job back as a, as a tax collector. 
Well, I guess I can go back into politics. That's what one of Simon Zelotes was into. All of them were sitting there, and then in come these two upstarts. These, they weren't even apostles. And they came in and they said, guys, we've been wrong. Jesus is alive. And it changed the atmosphere of that room. Hey, next time you get around other Christians, why don't you change their atmosphere? Why don't you just look at them and say, I know, I know this week's been rough, but our Lord is alive. Real faith will affect people. Did your faith do that? I would like to have a faith that makes people wonder if maybe they're wrong about God. I'd like to have a faith that actually would make an unbeliever question their doubt. <laughs> Amen. Now, you can't save anybody. I'll show you the next verse, verse 36. Again, their, their testimony doesn't, doesn't fix anybody. Look who actually says, verse 36, And as they thus spake, guess who shows up? Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified. They were frightened and supposed that they had only seen a spirit. They're going, this is a vision. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, take a look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, All right, give me some food. Have ye in here any meat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it, and they eat before them. And they, at that point, they said, He's real. And the point is this our job is to stir people up, and once they're stirred up, and get them to go, I wonder if he is alive. The Lord will work on their heart and will show up in their lives and convince them they need to trust him. I, I got to get busy with just back to believe in God. The crucifixion broke these men's faith. Now, we're way down from the crucifixion. See, that thing doesn't, doesn't break our faith. We understand the whole big picture, but let me tell you, they didn't expect the crucifixion. They didn't expect it all go south. They didn't expect it to look so wrong and him to be so dead. It broke their faith. It was a disaster. And I'm warning you, a disaster will reveal whether your faith is real or not. But the resurrection made their faith. It activated a love for Jesus. It became the reason to believe whatever the Bible said. It, it called them to gather together with other believers, not sit alone and have other priorities and things more important. These men from here on out turned the world upside down. Christian, if you want resurrected faith, which is what these two men had, you need to walk with Jesus for a while this week. Don't negate, don't ignore the responsibility of just spending time with Him and your heartburn will come back. Amen. You need to let Him rebuke you for the lack of faith that we all experience. You need to listen to him as he says, O oh fools, oh fools and slow of heart. That's me. Let him rebuke you. And start to believe beyond what is easy to believe. You know, it's easy to believe that God's going to bless you. Amen? Obviously, I'm worthwhile. But it's not so easy to believe when he leaves you out on a limb somewhere and everything's falling apart and God's not rushing to your aid and you're saying, Lord, where are you? i to read Job every once in a while. Start to believe beyond what is easy to believe. Believe whatever is in this book. Don't demand anything more than the book that you hold in your hand. 
I believe with all my heart, Jesus instantly disappeared so they would just trust in the words that he spoke. And they would hold on to that for the rest of their lives. Gather with other passionate believers. Don't hang around with deadbeats. Don't be hanging around with disco heads and scoffers and mockers and people who are only passionate about sports and movies and music and, and drink and money. Be in church. Amen. You want to get, you want to get that kind of faith? You want to let that be great in your life? Gather with other passionate believers. And then go tell the world that Jesus is alive. You know, it, nothing's, nothing will shake the cobwebs out of your system and out of your faith than when you stand at the door or when you confront your boss and you pull out, and I got my tracks in my coat pocket there, you pull out a track and says, I've been meaning to give you this for years. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and wants to save you but you gotta, you got to believe the gospel. you got to understand why he died. And I'm telling you, you will shake to your core. You will be so afraid, but you'll be believing God. And you're looking at him going, won't you believe? Won't you believe? Jesus is more than anyone could ever imagine. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't package him up and say, okay, this is who he is. No, he is who he says he is. If you want to have the gift of eternal life, all you do is need to just believe who He is. He's the only Savior of your soul. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. I believe 37 years ago. It's almost 38 years I've been a Christian. I've never regretted one second of it. Why? Because it's true. Because <laughs> He's alive. This whole world is a testimony. We date our calendar by his birth, we, in our heart of hearts, we know this person, Jesus, he's more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than just a good teacher. There's something about him. And if we could just conclude he's alive, it'll change this world. Well, I can't affect the world, but I want to affect the church this morning. Examine your faith. We're told that in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Examine yourself. See if you be in the faith. Test your faith. Kind of like putting that dipstick in the oil tank in your car and look and see if there's any oil in there mm, empty look in your heart go down deep and look and go is there any faith in there or am i just going through the motions father we bow before you wishing we could have been there to watch the transformation of those two men from despondent, depressed, defeated, discouraged, destroyed, no faith, to unstoppable, passionate, real Christians. Well, we can't. I, I can only imagine it. And, and Lord, you've given us enough of the Bible for us to see it. Now we need to believe it. What a difference it would be. I just believed you. Because the troubles do come. The rugs do pull out from under us. Our lives don't all fit and come out like we want. Whether good days or bad. I'd like to be able to say my faith is strong. 
I like to be able to say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm trusting him. My heart is engaged, not just my head. If there's somebody in this room who's never been born again, they say that they have faith, but they've never had it put it to the test. They've never decided that Jesus really died for them. I pray that they would believe it with all their heart today. They would accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for them and believe him with all their heart. Save somebody today. Encourage your people. Lord, may we not have just faith that moves mouths, but faith that moves mountains because we believe in a living Savior. May we be like that first century, those first century Christians that couldn't be stopped. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.